Great. Okay, we're we're recording. This is great. Hello and welcome to All Things Japanese from the Japanese Canadian Cultural Center in Toronto. Our topic today is traditional Japanese houses. My name is John Ota and I serve on the art committee and the board of the JCCC. Thank you for joining us today. These podcasts complement our online art exhibitions on the JCCC website. The current exhibit is Shikaku, an exhibit on public art and Japanese gardens. Our special guests today are James Heron, Executive Director of the Japanese Canadian Cultural Center, and Ari Ota, Principal of UFI Architecture and Design Studio. How are you today? Very well, thanks, John. Traditional Japanese houses. I'm so excited to listen to your comments because I have a special interest in Japanese houses. So, James Heron, what do you like about traditional Japanese houses? Uh, well, thanks, John. I, um, I, I'll be speaking as someone um, who's lived in a few traditional Japanese houses um, and also as, as a, a real enthusiast, um, but hardly um, someone with any academic expertise. So uh, I will just talk a little bit about my, my experiences. Um, Great. Again, I think Japanese houses demonstrate some of those uh, aesthetic concepts that I, I mentioned when we were talking about gardens last time. Um, they're, uh, they, they have an understated, elegant simplicity. They favor naturalists over ornamentation. And that is sort of combined with uh, efficiency and uh, flexibility of function. Um, and uh, these are all things that I'm sure uh, san will touch on shortly in, in, with, with far greater um, erudition. But um, anyway, I kind of wanted to talk about two of my favorite parts of a Japanese house. And one of them is, uh, is the Engawa. And an Engawa is, a, is sort of, it's a boarded floor that runs around the outermost part of a, a traditional house between the, the shoji screens, which would mark the interior of the house proper, and the amado, which are the wooden shutters that divide the angawa from the outside. So when the shutters are open, the angawa becomes kind of like an open veranda. And, um, and so the angawa is sort of the part of the house that brings together the inside and the outside, and nature and, and, and people. Um, so it kind of creates a, a blurring of the boundaries between interior and exterior. Um, the Engawa usually faces a courtyard or a garden. Um, so when the weather's nice outside, you, you can sit there, uh, relax. Uh, it's a nice spot for viewing trees and, and plants in the garden or for, for sitting and having a drink and uh, maybe doing some moon viewing. So again, a lovely, a lovely part of a, a traditional Japanese house. The, the other part I wanted to mention was um, was the bathroom. The bathroom. Um, the bathroom, yes. Oh, that's now, important. And I think in Japan, what would constitute a Western bathroom are actually two rooms. Um, so in, in, a, in a Japanese house or in most Japanese homes, the toilet is actually in a separate room. Um, and from a Japanese perspective, you know, I guess the question would be why have the least sanitary place in the home combined with one that is really a shrine to cleanliness and hygiene. So it's kind of counterintuitive. So the toilet will often be in, a, in, in its own small separate room. 
Um, and of course, even in a traditional Japanese house, uh, many of these Japanese toilets are kind of the electronic smart toilets with the, uh, the warm water cleaning jets and the bidet function and a dryer to sort of clean and pamper your, uh, your nether regions after the, uh, the business is complete. Um, all of these functions are operated by a control panel or a remote, so where you can alter the, the water pressure or sort of the water uh, temperature or uh, the pulsation of the water um, that you're using to clean yourself. The seat is often heated as well because many Japanese homes uh, are not centrally heated. And in some cases, there's even a, a simple sort of a fountain on top of the toilet tank so that when you flush, um, it lets you wash your hands in the fresh water that is flowing in to refill the cistern. Oh, wow. uh, how clever. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the other room is the bathroom proper. And it is the one that is uh, dedicated to cleanliness and relaxation. And it's usually itself sort of sub subdivided into two separate zones. Uh, the first space being kind of a dry cloakroom uh, where there'd be a sink and a mirror and where, where you would change or where you might dry yourself off. And that would open into a, into a humid subroom that is totally waterproofed, closed by a sealed door. And it's usually made of tiles or uh, PVC, right from the, from the floor to the ceiling. So when you enter this space, there'll be a small shower area and beyond that, uh, about the bathtub. And uh, the first thing you do when you enter this room is to take a shower. So there'll be a, a low shower with a basin, with a small stool. Uh, Japanese people often shower and clean themselves when they're seated. And of course, there'd be soaps and shampoos and maybe an anti-mist mirror. And it's really important um, to thoroughly clean yourself here and rinse off all the soap uh, because the bathtub is not a place for washing. Uh, the tub is a place for soaking and for relaxation. So Japanese tubs tend to be much deeper uh, with higher sort of straight walls. They're shorter, they're kind of boxier. Um, in most Canadians' homes, we are used to stretching out kind of in a long, shallow tub. But in a Japanese tub, you can sit there with your legs folded and the warm water reaches easily to your shoulders and to the top of your knees. So you're pretty completely immersed. And the, the water is also stays hot because you know, usually there's um, a heater that reheats and recirculates the water in the tub. And because you enter this into the tub in a state of cleanliness, the same bath water will be used by everyone in the household. So bathing is a very important part of Japanese life. And it's certainly also um, one of my favorite features of a Japanese house. So, oh, thank yeah. you. I love it. I'm so ready to jump in. Any day I can spend some time on the, sitting on the Engao and then uh, jump into a nice hot Japanese bath is uh, a day well spent. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you make me miss the uh, Japanese That's time. great. You, you speak with uh, elegant simplicity. And uh, now all the listeners, when they uh, go to a house in Japan, they'll know what to expect. Thank you so much. You're great. Oh Ari. Ari Ota, principal of Ufi Architects, Ufi Architecture and Design Studio. How are you today? Thank you for I'm being good. here. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you, John. Eric, uh, what, what, what are your thoughts about traditional Japanese houses? 
Yeah. Uh, before coming to Canada, I live and study and work train in Japan. And uh, we work for various projects from like interior innovation to, of course, it's a new construction building and master planning. And for that, it's it's many places in the world. And then, but recently it's uh, mainly in Canada. And for like residential, institutional, or like cultural, industrial, many type of building. So my favorite part of the Japanese traditional house is uh, ambiguous boundary. Uh, ambiguous boundary is uh, probably, it's, I think it's one of the most unique part. And then my favorite part, it's also one of, my, one of the most flexible way to see and understand the architecture for me. And then the ambiguous boundary to connect outside and inside of the building. And also within the building, it's room and room function and function. Uh, it's connecting the many uh, part organically. Uh, traditional, for example, European architecture, which is the uh, origin of the idea of the architecture, is mainly come from the masonry stone construction, which is heavy and thick wall, uh, which will, uh, the, that will isolate and then also protect the people from into the building uh, against the weather, uh, or the cold and heat, uh, or other people' privacy, or like literally like enemies. But compared to this, uh, Japanese traditional architecture is a wooden uh, column and beam, post and beam construction, uh, which require a lot of post wood wood columns uh, with a uh, minimum amount of the wall, which is a probably the one with a unique point of the Japanese architecture, like you cannot really define, divide a space only by post. Then you will, it will require the wall or some, some sort of separation. And the people use this to separate the space to separate space by screen or like amado, which is like a sliding wood panel or fusma. Fusma is a non-translucent, uh, non non-transparent uh, paper sliding door or like shoji, which is a screen. Uh, or like wood panel or very single or soil wall or like something half height wall. Uh, it's a between the separation between the room to room is very ambiguous in the house. Also the connection with outside is also ambiguous. Japanese idea of the architecture is not creating the object. It's create the space in between. And then a combination of the this space in between, uh, the, the spaces in definition in Japanese is called ma, which is slightly different as space in English. I don't think there's an exact direct translation exists. Uh, but the combination of the ma is uh, to create a layer and layer of the spaces uh, for from outside to all the way inside. Like for example, of course, outside has a garden or like street or something. And then coming to canopy and then coming to like engawa or like this corridor or like, like a doma space or or, and then come into more public function, like a greeting space, and then come into dining space, and then go into more private, and then require, require space like a bedroom. And basically like air, sound, temperature, safety, everything is kind of trouble in between spaces, but it's every layer is good buffer. So more you layer, it goes inside, atmospheres keep on changing. Outer layer has a, a more component of the outdoor, and functionally more flexible, but it's more exposed to the public.
and the inner space has a more private and they, like winter time they feel warmer and the summertime they protect it from the heat from outside or like a wind. And for example, uh, the space called Doma. Uh, Doma is uh, recently we don't see in the modern Japanese houses that much, but originally that was how to say it. It's some house, it was a entrance, some house was a back entrance. And basically the space floor was uh, finished by compressed soil. And then there is a lot of like outdoor function or water function in the space. Like sometimes it's a kitchen. Sometimes there is even like a pig or dog or those animals. And sometimes it has a tool for farming. And it's basically the space for durability, but to bring, but it's a, to be able to bring the outdoor component into the building. And sometimes it can get smelly and sometimes get noisy. Uh, or like other space, uh, yeah, as uh, James explained, uh, the Engawa space, I think this is a very, I think his view was very true. It's very important part for the, the Japanese architecture. And it's a space for welcoming guests. When it's rain, it get wet, it gets slippery, and you protect by Amado, or sometimes enjoy the slipperiness. And I have a lot of memory since I'm kids to all the way grow up, like, sleeping there, having doing the firework or <laughs> fruit or taking a nap. It's uh, I have many memories spending my parents or my grandparents. And I seen the kind of like a Japanese identity in this way of thinking the how to blend and coexist with the environment or with your neighbor in this architecture. Like instead of like creating your identity sort of boom like into like as a how to say, very different object in a different society, creating the outer layer to be ambiguous, to welcoming the people, also coexist. And I see the, like a goal, like a follow into the, your uh, the own society, like those kind of identities existing also uh, Japanese houses here. And, That's great. Thank you. That's yeah. really fascinating. I enjoyed your, your, uh, thank you for bringing up the ma, mm. the different spaces. Ari, on a different topic, you've designed a public art proposal for the JCC called an arch of 1,000 origami cranes. This proposal can be seen on the JCC website under our art exhibit, Shikaku. Where did you get this inspiration for this idea of arch of 1,000 origami cranes? 1,000 origami, Senbazuru, which is a traditional origami artwork in Japan. And by folding 1,000 crane and to wish the best for somebody. And people make this uh, when there is a challenge, such as an event of like, like some disaster, losing life, or like going to hospital, surgery, or like a positive thing is something like a sports event. Like, like high school baseball is a big thing in Japan. Like many kids and many students play for the create the origami for going before before going to this tournament. And to be honest, I never really cared this before. But past uh, eleven years since I left Tokyo and came to Toronto, there was a different event. Uh, me personally, also a connection with uh, Japan. Like, of course, like a Tohoku earthquake or tsunami in 2011, which was a big thing for me as an architect. And also there is many things I could do, but the, this distance was 
and also separating from the, the society was frustrating as an architect. And also at the same time, more personal uh, aging, uh, changing the difference, uh, changing and creating difference within the family and the health or like my friends. And more time passed, the meaning of the wish was getting more important and start to understand and start to have actually strong feeling toward like uh, Southern Crane, which is very typical and everyone know, but I think that's give me some heartwarming and also sympathy to, to this artwork. So like then I realized, and uh, this is we are in Canada and then there is a, the JCCC is immigrated Japanese or second and third generation people's organization here. Everyone must have some sort of those feeling of uh, wish to something. So that was my, our starting point of this idea and how to welcome, welcoming heartwarming airy gate, how to represent the simplicity and the minimalistic approach of Japanese design, combined with the, uh, the idea of the wish. So, so that's why we probably literally let's use a thousand crane as an idea. And that's great, thank you. That's, it's a beautiful proposal and it's on the website. And I did not know that you folded uh, or we folded cranes before a sports uh, game. <laughs> Maybe we should do that for the Toronto hockey team. <laughs> it's not just a negative thing always. <laughs> Listen, thank you so much for your thoughts, Ari. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And thank you for doing this. And thank you to James Heron. Yay, thank you. Thank you, Ari Olta. Yay, thank you. And thank, thank you for everyone who's been uh, listening to us today. Eri Ota can be reached through the Eufy Architecture and Design Studio website at eufy.com. That's U-U-F-I-E dot com. And James Heron and I can be contacted through the JCC website, jcc.on.ca. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you, James. Thank you, Eri. Thank you to everybody listening. My name is John Ota. And I hope you enjoyed listening to all things Japanese. Thank you. Arigato. Thank you, John. Thank you. Arigato. Arigato. <laughs>